<laughs> Y'all know what it is. Hey everybody and welcome back to Eggs. Today's special guest is none other than Jason Yormark. Jason is the founder of Socialistics, a leading social media agency that helps businesses turn their social media efforts into real measurable results. With more than 20 years of marketing experience under his belt, managing the social media efforts for the likes of Microsoft Advertising, Office for Mac, the U.S. Air Force, Habitat for Humanity, and more, Jason has led the field, becoming recognized as a top B2B social media influencer and a thought leader by publications including Forbes. He's recently published the wildly popular book, Anti-Agency, A Realistic Path to a Million Dollar Business, and hosts the Anti-Agency podcast where he shares stories of doing business differently. Joining the show today for a discussion about the social media strategies that drive real results, unique and different ways to think about running your business, how to create your realistic path to a million dollar business, and so much more. Please join me in welcoming to the show, the incredible Jason Yormark. Hey, Jason. How are you, man? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, really grateful for you to make the time to do this. Um, you know, it's a little behind the curtain stuff, but people love this. So uh, we we had a scheduling conflict and basically just got back together. And I just want to sort of express, you know, my gratitude for you being willing sure. to uh, be flexible with us because uh, we're just uh, thrilled to death to have you here. And uh, in, in learning about you and studying or preparing for this conversation, like I've, I've discovered so many things that we have in common. So I'm actually really mm-hmm. looking forward to this chat. Cool. So cool. So let's start a little bit just kind of at the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about just sort of who you are, where you come from, and and what your early days were like before you were doing what you're doing today. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, I'm getting old. Uh, 25-year marketer. Um, you know, I got started early right around um, the dot-com bust, you know, kind of learned a little bit about SEO and, and web design and just helping, you know, businesses kind of get online. And I think that's really where my entrepreneurial bug started to really uh get going and uh but i always kind of had, was in the mindset of play it safe get the job nine to five sit at a desk get your paycheck benefits all that stuff have bills to pay so i never you know an entrepreneurship path didn't feel realistic to me um so i just kind of you know i just i went through the motions and, and had different jobs and as a marketer um you know i it was like a revolving door whether i was being laid off or or let go for a variety of reasons you know economy or businesses just you know, wanting to go in different directions. I was always embarrassed by my um, my revolving door career. But as I got older and I looked at LinkedIn, I started to see, oh, all marketers actually change jobs every two years for whatever reason. Uh, it was kind of an aha moment for me. But uh, thought I wanted to be a teacher, coached high school volleyball. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. Um, always loved teaching people and educating. Got my master's degree and got into the classroom. And within a day, I was like, this is not the same as coaching. Uh, I have made a terrible mistake. This is probably not for me. And uh, I had to rethink my uh, career strategy. And luckily at the time, this is right around 0405, Microsoft is hiring like crazy. And uh, went through some interview processes with them and uh, got an offer. They said, you can go to New York or Seattle. And I said, well, I'm not going to New York. Uh, No disrespect to New Yorkers, but not my speed. Uh, So I went to Seattle. And uh, I've been there ever since, worked for Microsoft for about seven or eight years. Really, we were able to get some incredible experience there, um, just working with all kinds of different people from all different aspects of life. Uh, again, this is right around social media was starting out, so I got in early and uh, helped kind of craft social media for 
Microsoft Advertising, eventually Office for Mac, uh, parlayed my experience at Microsoft for a, a variety of different agency jobs, but always wanted to do my own thing. And uh, for me, that just came later in life. You know, my my early 40s, I was able to finally figure out the path to freedom for me, which was socialistics. And for about four or five years, uh, we've been able to, you know, build a successful social media agency um, and living, you know, my best life. So that's that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I really appreciate you kind of breaking it down that way. And actually, one of the things that I think is such a good thing, especially for entrepreneurs who may feel like maybe they've missed the boat or maybe something happened and they did they aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing or, or whatever. Yeah. There's I think there's this uh insecurity that people have where they they feel like they've done the wrong things or maybe I misstepped or you know, I'll never get there and that kind of thing. So I love that it almost came to you at an older age. You know, I think for a lot of people, I mean, myself included, you know, worked in agencies, worked in places like that. I started some form of my business nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. But, um, you know, the the company that exists today is totally different. Right. And part of that is age. And I think that in order to get there, there's almost no shortcuts. Right. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, you, you know, you listen to these like brilliant minds on YouTube and, and all these kind of places, you know, that, you know, kind of make you feel inspired, like something's going on, but they're actually making you feel horrible because you haven't accomplished all you should have. Sure. And, uh, and so, you know, so when I hear a story like yours, where it's, you know, finally clicked after all these years of experience, it really takes me back to this metaphor that we've sort of been working on just over the course of this show. I mean, your episode number 272. So that's nearly 265 interviews that we've done on this show. Sure. And, um, and in that time, we've really learned about this idea of sort of layering on education, right? That there really is no shortcut, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, you might be able to, to optimize or maybe not step on the same landmine that somebody else did, but at the same time, it, you kind of have to go through the trials to, to be able to really apply this stuff in real life. For sure. so, uh, so I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about just sort of the birth of socialistics itself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, uh, you got to this point in your career, you'd been laid off, you'd worked, you've done mm-hmm. all these different things. Yeah. At the point you decided the entrepreneurial life was for you. And yeah. Why social media? Why Why was this the direction for you? Well, I think, you know, I um, when you think about starting a business, you obviously want to tap into whatever resources that you do have. And resources take the shape of money, time, expertise, um, uh, the relationships that you have, you know, for me, really all I had was my experience. Um, I had basically been in social media at that point in time for about, you know, 12, 13 years. Um, I, you know, that was my experience. I knew how to navigate those waters for clients successfully. I had seen it been done wrong so many times. So that was the the least, the least path of resistance for me in terms of being able to uh, build a business that could scale and take advantage of my experience. So um, I had some reservations. I thought, well, you know, do I really want to narrow my focus so much and walk away from other opportunities? But, you know, that was uh, a necessary choice. I think in this day and age, you really need to specialize. You need to kind of specialize either vertically or, or horizontally, like pick an industry or pick a specialization. And in many cases, I'd say even do both and you're going to set yourself up for success. Um, so we decided, I decided, you know, I'm going to go horizontal, I'm going to pick social media and that's the path we're going to go down and we're going to stick to it. So, um, that was, you know, it was kind of a no brainer for me. I didn't, I didn't want, you know, to invent a product. I didn't have some, you know, masterful idea of something to create. That was just, it, it made sense for me, uh, at the time. And, uh, certainly, uh, the level of success that we've been able to have has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, I brought that experience to the table. Yeah. 
No, I appreciate that. And actually, one of the things that you hit there is this idea of niches, right? Narrowing mm -hmm. our, our our scope a little bit. Yep. It's funny. And, you know, as a guy who's sort of contemporary with you in terms of age, you know, we've grown up in a period where part of our life was lived pre-internet and then part mm -hmm. of our life was lived post, yeah. you know, so we have the, the advantage of perspective where we can kind of see how far things have come. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that seems to have happened with the internet is it's enabled everything, right? Now, all of a sudden, anybody can do anything, anywhere, anytime. Right. But the reality is with more options, like success is still found in choosing individual things, right? <laughs> Narrowing down. Yeah. And for a lot of people, you know, even myself included, I mean, our agency was a general purpose agency for almost its entire existence. You know, mm -hmm. really only in the last few years have we been trying to niche down into specific. Yeah. But it's not something that occurred to us, right? The idea was, you know, oh, well, I know how to do this and this and this and this. So let's do all those things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, but like they say, I mean, it's a little cliche, I suppose, but you know, they say the riches are in the niches, right? Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the idea being that by narrowing your scope, but I think it's exceedingly challenging these days because we all, you know, especially if you enter into like a startup environment, for example, where you're forced to wear many hats, you become expert at many things, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's different than, you know, maybe our grandparents' generations where you just did one job your whole life and then retired. You know, now we're we're asked to be very agile in the workplace. And so we have to pick up a lot of different skills. So I think being able to pick one that is your true expertise, but also having the discipline to niche down like you've done is a, is a really great approach. Yeah, you need to. Uh, it, it's tough to do because your initial instincts are, I don't want to limit myself to just this thing in case other people want other things. The reality is, if you don't do that, if you're just starting out now or you're in the beginning stages, um, you're gonna you're gonna face some incredible challenges getting anybody's attention if you are trying to be everything to everybody, either through the the number of things that you offer or the uh, the number of industries that you're trying to serve. Um, you really need to narrow your focus because it's all noise. I mean, people, the sh attention spans are shrinking. People are getting more and more irritated with the volume of, of communication that's being sent their way through email, texting, phone calls, you know, we're getting, you know, inundated with, you know, ads and advertising, all these things, it, it all becomes noise. Um, and so unless you have a very narrow specific message that speaks specifically to that decision maker and what they do and what's important to them, it's just going to get glossed over. So you really need to kind of carve out, you know, a more narrow path and then build off of that. Otherwise, I mean, it's to your point, anybody can do anything these days, you know, marketers are a dime a dozen and, um, you especially, you know, if you're looking to get into the agency game or be a mark, like you better really have a, a narrow focus and build a portfolio of work that caters to a very specific thing. If you want to get anybody's attention and to be able to scale a business. Yeah. Well, and I always joke that my greatest competition, you know, as a graphic design guy, as a guy in the art trade, my, my greatest competition is already always somebody's cousin. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got Photoshop and I'm sure you can relate. Yep. You know, it's every right. yeah. teenager can run Twitter. What do I oh, need? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, so, uh, so, I mean, it's funny how, you know, the simplified version of what we do is this, but really where you actually gain a, I guess, a claim or you become more important or more valuable to your prospective client is in your niche in the fact that you own this thing and you're expert at this thing. Yeah, for you sure. know, it's not about running a Twitter profile, but rather it's the high level strategy that informs the, what we run on that Twitter profile. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I also wanted to say, too, just in the spirit of niching, because I think you hit it exactly on the head, what people's concern is when it comes to that, which is, I don't want to limit myself. I want to be available. You know, it's kind of the Walmart mentality, right? If I'm the mm -hmm. cheapest, everyone will come. Right. And so it's this idea that everyone should be your client. When in reality, yeah. it, you know, they probably shouldn't be. But you, you mentioned that, you know, people are afraid of that. 
And, um, and so, but I just wanted to mention that I think for a lot of us, and, and you can probably speak to this too, is that your diversity in work comes in your clients, mm-hmm. right? So you're doing social media, but you're doing social media for a range of clients across a number of industries. And as a result, you're getting your diversity that way. You're delivering this piece. You've niched into doing you know, social, social media strategy, for example, mm-hmm. but, um, but you're getting your breadth of, uh, of, you know, life experiences by way of, you know, getting clients that you enjoy working with that are doing things that your company believes in or that you're willing to work for. And, yeah. and so I want to, you know, I maybe dissuade some of the, uh, the niching fear by, uh, by saying something like that. Yeah. Cause, and also, um, a couple of things happen when you, you niche and you, and you focus on a particular area, um, if you do it well and you treat your clients well and you deliver results, they're going to ask you, oh, do you do this other thing? Or we have this other need. And you can handle that in one of two ways. Like Sometimes we'll stray a little bit from what we do if a client specifically asks us if it's within our wheelhouse. But more importantly, what I do is I build partnerships. You know, I have partnerships with you know, a web agency or a PR agency uh, or search marketing or SEO. And you know, if you build that relationship, now I, have, I could tap into these people and say, yeah, I've got somebody for you. I trust them. I work with them. I could plug you right into that. Um, and you're helping them. And then those partnerships then turn, obviously will return the favor. Um, so even though you're, you're not being everything to everybody, if you build trust with your, your clients, they're going to ask for these other things. And if you've got these partnerships in place, you can kind of plug them into these opportunities and then you almost extend the opportunities that come your way. Uh, if you've got good partnerships, you know, you're, you're sending them leads, they're sending you leads and it's kind of a win-win. So it can be a little bit uncomfortable up front, but if you, if you want to succeed in 2022 and beyond, you're, you know, you're going to have to kind of really narrow what you do to, to make any sort of movement. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I really like your, your thoughts about sort of collaboration or working with partners. I mean, really the, the, you know, I, I guess the evidence of being a great vendor, you know, or a great provider for your client, you know, so when your client comes to you and they ask you for something, mm-hmm. your willingness to be honest with them and say, yep. Hey, that's not our wheelhouse yeah. and B, I've got a resource for you. Mm-hmm. Those two skills make you a tremendous partner for somebody. And, uh, and so as a, as a great vendor or a great, you know, provider, those are, those are amazing skills to have. For sure. So I wanted to sort of, I guess, lead off of this, you know, in, in terms of your life history, now we understand why you've started your business, yeah. why Specialistics does what it does, all that kind of stuff. But I wonder if we can now talk about sort of the early days to where we are today, and mm-hmm. maybe put this even in the frame of your book uh, and talk about this, you know, a million dollar business, you know, mm-hmm. how do we go from zero to a million dollars? And so maybe mm-hmm. we can talk a little bit about what that path was like for you and sure. maybe we can uh, extrapolate that for other people. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was the, the the breaking point for me and being able to kind of finally get to where I wanted to. And I, there's a chapter in the book. It's probably my favorite chapter in the book. It's called, it's basically, you know, creating a runway because most of us don't have resource, the resources and the, the ability to take significant risks. You know, you've got kids, you've got bills, you need that steady paycheck, you need the benefits. So, you know, taking a leap in entrepreneurship is a, can be a lofty leap for most. So oftentimes, you know, it, it's one of those things that kind of gets set aside and, you know, maybe someday. So, you know, and I had thought through that many times and I, and I knew if I was ever going to be able to take that leap, I, I needed to build a runway for myself. I wouldn't be able to just take a leap. So I knew I, I created a plan for myself. Um, I think in my mind at the time, it was like a two-year plan. I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to create a brand and I'm going to do some things on the side while I have jobs to kind of build some momentum that I hopefully can then slide into at some point. Um, so, you know, I built a brand, I started blogging, I started putting content out, I started trying to create awareness of my brand 
um, it's it's a slog. It's a marathon. Like you know, it's competitive. I'm trying to get to the you know the front page of Google for terms that relate to what I do. So I got to constantly put stuff out. Taking on a few side hustle projects, you know, and taking them on for less cost. You know, it's like I'm just starting out. People don't know me. I'm like, hey, uh, normally I would charge this. I'll do it for free for for three months if you agree to allow me to, uh, you know, have a port folio piece uh that that speaks and get a review from you like so you you know if you're not reliant on the business financially you can take some heavy risks in helping build some momentum around so you, you kind of put all these things in place so i did that i did that and sh- sure enough you know within a year the last job that i had didn't work out um i got let go and i was just fed up i'm like i'm done i am so like i'm like the stability that i was always looking for just didn't exist and I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. And because I had put that time in, because I had built a runway, because I had a couple of clients, I wasn't come, I wasn't jumping into something like overwhelmingly new. Oh, I got to create a brand and a logo and a website and I got to do this and that. And it's just like, it could be overwhelming. No, all that stuff was done. This, this train was, had already left the station. I jumped right into it. And the number one thing that came out of that because of that was it, it broke down my fear. Fear had really crippled me in the past around entrepreneurship, like fear of failing. Um, like, where how am I going to pay my bills? Like, what if I lose a client? Like, just this fear can just psychologically overpower you. And then the fear was was gone mostly. Um, and then my business took off because of it. Um, uh, so the combination of creating that runway, eliminating that fear, not letting it handcuff me, uh, everything took off from there. I just had a different attitude about it, a different energy about it. And um, it didn't take long before it was bigger than me, you know, a couple months in, I got to hire somebody then I'm hiring somebody else and success breeds success. You know, those foundational pieces really allowed me to kind of build something. And certainly to your point, all the experience that I'd had throughout my life, I kind of peppered that into what I did and certainly made mistakes, you know, fail up, you know, learn from those mistakes, but uh, just a commitment to really doing things the right way. Um, Not saying yes to everything, um, sticking to your guns about who you are and your core values. Um, all of these things helped build a scalable business. Um, I didn't grow as fast as maybe a lot of agencies do, but I grew in a, at, at, a, at the right pace to allow me to continue to, to live my core principles and values, stay true to who we are and what we do, not say yes to everything. And that helped us kind of scale and grow at the right rate um, and allowed us to be who we are and not, you know, just take on everything everywhere, every time. Um, and that's, that's basically been our recipe. I mean, it, you know, our, our, if you look at our growth on a chart, it would probably be, you know, slow and consistent and not like a hockey stick, but I'm okay with that because I've been able to build a lifestyle for myself that, you know, it's freedom. You know, I live my life the way that I want, how I want. Um, I'm sure if I did things differently, we'd probably be bigger and make more money. But you know, you get older in life, and time starts to feel just as important as money. And for me, that's that's good enough. So, um, and I, and I'm thrilled that I've been able to give that to others as well. Yeah, no, I love that. And actually, one of the things it, you know, I mentioned at the top that we have a lot of things in common. And so, yeah. and, and so, it's actually like I told you, I'm, I'm very excited to have this conversation because uh, there's so many things that you're saying that have worked mm-hmm. for you that are the same way that I approached things. And I felt all these years wildly insecure about, felt like I was yeah. doing the wrong thing. You know, so I love to hear it from somebody else, you know, especially yeah. this idea of sort of, you know, risk aversion and and starting out, you know, sort of slow and 
working on the side hustle. And, and, you know, and actually in my career, I've been saved twice by that, mm-hmm. which was I was freelancing at night and things like that and, and lost a job, but had my freelance to fall back on. And mm-hmm. then later, years later, I went back to work for another agency, same thing, worked a few years and fell back out on my freelance career uh, to the point where my wife was like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. why do you keep restarting? Just, yeah. And, uh, and we've been doing that ever since. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so it's fun to hear sort of this trajectory, but there's a couple of things I wanted to unpack. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, first of all, I wondered, you, you mentioned something about not saying yes to everything. And I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you about that concept, mm-hmm. um, and just see if in your experience, if maybe it came out of maturity, like, is that yeah. something that you learned, uh, being an older person as an entrepreneur? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, that wasn't just some revelation. Um, I think, and look, I'm not naive, you know, when you're just starting a business, you're, you're going to say yes to some things, but just out of necessity and that's okay. Um, and I think that's really where my learnings and education came is because, you know, as you get older, or as you have more experiences, um, your, your instincts become pretty solid. And I think, you know, I can think every client opportunity that we've worked on that didn't work out, I can tie it back to the original conversation I had with them and honestly say the red flags went off. Like I, I knew to, to a certain extent that this, there's something doesn't feel right about this, um, but I'm going to give it a shot because, you know, we're new and we need the experience. Uh, so early on, you know, those red flags existed. I could feel them for whatever reason, you know, the professional chemistry isn't there. I felt like, I don't know if that they're going to treat my team really well. Their product really sucks. It's not, you know, it's nothing special about it. You know, good marketing doesn't fix crappy products. So I'm like, these are the kinds of things, or, or they had realistic ex- expectations. Like, you know, you're going to make me a millionaire in a month. I'm like, no, like nobody can do that. Or like, you know, they kind of, they looked at your pricing. They're like, well, that's a little bit more expensive than we were like that. Like all these things are red flags, you know, today, if any of those things fire off, I'm like, I'm sorry, this isn't a good fit. Like I'm literally that black and white about it. Cause I know it 99% of the time, it's not going to end well. It's not worth it for the 1% that it might. So I, we luckily we've reached a, a maturity level with the business that I can do that. I can afford to say no. Um, but in those early stages, you know, those flags raised, but I'm like, Oh, I got to go for it. They never worked out. And I learned through that, right? Client slips through treats my team like crap. I'm like, nope, you're fired. I, I cannot afford to have people treat my team like crap. Not going to have it. Um, or, you know, two months in, they're like, why, why aren't, why don't I have six figure sales? I'm like, we've been working we, two months with you. And the first month was onboarding. So it's like, nope, this isn't going to work. You don't, you clearly don't feel good ab- about this and what you're investing in it. So those, it just, it's not worth it. It's exhausting to you as a business owner. It's exhausting to your team. Um, so you just learn, you just learn to eventually get to a place where you hope that you reach a threshold of success that you can comfortably say no, and it's not going to be comfortable. I mean, it's kind of like over time it gets more comfortable, but you kind of have to force yourself to just get to a point where it's pretty black and white, trust your instincts, you know, put things in place. Like one of the best things that we ever did was, um, the evolution of our contact form on our website, right? So everybody that comes to us, that's interested, they don't call. They, they, they fill out a form on our website and then we follow up. Over time, I've learned how to, how to evolve the methodology that we've used on our contact form to lessen the amount of spam and unqualified leads. So now we've really gotten into a rhythm where, yeah, I don't get as many leads, but the ones that I get, there's a 90% chance that they're qualified. Whereas before it was like 30, 40. So you kind of put, you start to put things in place from a technology standpoint, from a process standpoint, you start to it's gain efficiencies. You're not wasting time on opportunities that don't make sense for you. So that by the time that you're actually getting on the call with them, 
there's a much higher probability that it's a good fit. They've already been vetted um, and you're not wasting your time on the phone with them. So we've really gotten into a, a pretty sweet spot around that and figured out those things. But to your point, it doesn't happen overnight. I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how much you listen to my podcast or anybody's podcast. We can tell you all of these things, but there's there's a there's a there's a lot of weight that goes into just experiencing these things and learning from what has what works and what doesn't for yourself and then iterating off of that. Yeah, no, it's it's funny because as we talk about just sort of our mutual sort of path into entrepreneurship, which was sort of this slow burn working for other people and then ultimately arriving. And then even when we did arrive, you know, there's, you know, I've got to make sure I've got enough money for the family. So I'm going to just take some side work and then, you know, like sort of this easing into it. But you mentioned before that your growth might be a little bit slow and unlike the mm -hmm. hockey stick. But I wondered if you could talk, you know, about, you know, sort of your career began as sort of risk aversion. Like this mm -hmm. is a simple way to get in. Yeah. However, I think part of finding success is learning to be more tolerant of risks. And I yeah. think sort of what you were just describing, which is, you know, in, in this scenario that we were just discussing, it was being able to say no, yeah. it wasn't, I'm curious if it was, if it was really about money and financial stability, as much as it was about, you know, knowing what was a good fit and becoming more willing to take a risk and just say, no, this isn't good. It, you yeah. know, sort of, I guess, almost, put faith in the concept that somebody better is going to come along. And yeah. so I wonder if that is, you know, again, maturity, or if this is part of that process, you know, just as you, as you do the work and you spend time in your business, you know, if you can actually evolve to become more, uh, you know, tolerant of risk. Yeah. It's interesting for me. I, you know, I think one of the faults that I had as a business owner is that I was very much risk averse, uh, aversion, especially financially, because I always wanted to make sure that I had a significant um, nest egg, to fall back on because I I've been in the agency game long enough to know that there are hills and valleys to this game. I think like right now, um, I'm not sure when this will publish, but we're in the middle of a recession. That's it's, it's, it's impacting us. It's impacting a lot of agencies. It's unavoidable. And I want to make sure that I have the resources to kind of see through those challenging times. Um, and I did that to a fault. Um, I think that it prohibited me from making bigger moves or, or investing more significantly. And I think that that contributed to slower growth. Uh, it wasn't until again, you know, running the business for a certain amount of time and realizing, you know, if, you know, I got to decide who we want to be, you know, do we want to be, you know, there's, when you look at an agency or a business, I think there's different, um, levels of success. Like you hear, you, you reach certain thresholds. Um, and for me, like I wanted to hit being that million dollar agency that was always kind of like a threshold that I wanted to hit. And it was just like, I was getting close, you know, two steps forward, three steps back. Um, this constant back and forth. And I realized, you know, part of the equation was basically, you know, I wasn't making bigger moves, you know, taking a little bit more risk, you know, investing more money in advertising or maybe hiring more than what we needed um, to accommodate future growth instead of just reacting. Um, so it, it was these kinds of things that I finally realized, you know what, I got to take some bigger leaps here because I'm doing the business and my team a disservice by being overly risk uh, aversion. Um, and, and, you know, uh, for the most part that, that move was a good one. Uh, it allowed us to kind of break through, um, that, that barrier. Um, and, uh, it's allowed me to be a, a little bit more balanced business owner in terms of not kind of being too extreme about how I, um, take risks. Um, so that's definitely something that I learned over time. I don't think that that's one of the things that, 
you know, again, you read a book or you listen to a podcast and you can just instantly be risk averse or, or less risk averse. I think it's just everybody's a little bit different in terms of what their blind spots are. I think um, I think the best thing that you can do is to just approach things from a, I don't know everything. You know, I, I, I don't know everything. I realize that hire people that are better than me, surround myself with mentors and, and people that you trust that can help you learn and grow and think differently outside of your own kind of lane. Um, if you take that approach, then you're going to work through anything. Um, so I think that that's really just the mentality that you have to have if you want to build a, a long-term business. Yeah, that seems right. And, uh, you know, I wanted to sort of explore this a little bit further and talk just about, you know, in your case. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you did, you know, obviously it was an evolution, right? It wasn't an overnight yeah. thing. Like you mentioned, you didn't just watch a video and all of a sudden, boom, I'm risk of or, or uh, mm -hmm. you know, risk tolerant. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to sort of frame this a little bit differently or talk about it in a, in the sense of a different kind of mindset. So mm -hmm. when I was pre uh, preparing for the show, I was listening to one of your, your podcasts from earlier in July uh, with a guy named Brian Bogert. And I mm -hmm. thought it was really an interesting conversation. I mean, for me, it was wildly therapeutic, right? Because yeah. a lot of sort of the, I guess, personality uh, conflicts or, or sort of, you know, even uh, side effects of the way that you were raised and things like that all yeah. parallel mine. So, so I actually really enjoyed the conversation. But one of the things he talked about in that conversation and was trying to get you to explore, and I would encourage anybody to go take a listen to this podcast. In fact, I'll put it in the show notes just so anybody mm -hmm. can go back and listen to this episode. But um, he talked a lot about scarcity versus abundance mindset. Mm -hmm. I feel like this concept of, of scarcity versus abundance is critical. And I think it allows for things like, you know, risk aversion versus risk tolerance. I think it allows for decision-making that allows, <clears throat> that allows you to move a business forward and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And so much of us, or so many of us are, are trapped in this, right? And especially right now, like, you know, at, at the time this episode is being taped, you know, we're right in the heart of, uh, of a recession that's likely going to get worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we're all you know, surrounded by fears and things like that, you know, and very few people are actually looking at all the opportunities that are becoming available. And, uh, and so, but I, I think so much of it roots back to the scarcity versus uh, abundance mindset. And so I wondered if you'd talk just a little bit about, you know, this, this concept that, that Brian brings up, which is this idea of playing not to lose versus playing to win. Mm -hmm. And I think both uh -huh. you and I come from the same background, both single parent household, both had sort of these, I guess, ideas maybe implanted in us, which is yeah. part of what led to our, our maybe our slower mm -hmm. growth or our sort of risk aversion, right? Yeah. And uh, and so I wonder if you would sort of talk about overcoming those. And I wondered if there's maybe a catalyst or if there's anything you could point to in your life that was the factor. Like, you know, hey, I, I, I realized that if I don't make a choice today, if I don't, yeah. you know, take this step, you know, then, you know, X is going to happen or whatever. I just wondered if you had a specific marker you could point to that was like a pivot point for you. Yeah. So yeah, it's all interesting. So I loved that interview. There was therapeutic for myself as well. Um, I think, you know, so to kind of touch on the whole um, part of what you're kind of saying, um, it definitely came from, I think my risk aversion came from, I grew up poor, you know, single mom, me, my brother um, grew up poor. Didn't know it at the time, you know, you only know what you know, but, you know, looking back now, I, I certainly can see how, you know, we were, we did not have a lot. Um, so I'm certainly somebody that I think is uh, a little bit uh, more risk averse because of it. Cause I'm afraid, you know, it's, it's like that fear that's deep down, like, Oh, I don't want to, you know, fall back into that similar. I mean, it's not going to happen. Right. But it's, it's psychology is how you grow up, but I'm self-aware enough to know that that's where it's coming from. So I've been able to kind of work through it. Um, but in terms of, you know, I think a breakthrough, um, I don't know. I, th I think it was just, 
you know, you get so busy working on things and sometimes you just forget to kind of take a step back and see what you've achieved. And um, I don't know if there was any, if it was one specific moment, but um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I always had this million dollar business. Like it just, just saying that just didn't seem real to me. Like I never thought, you know, when I started the business, I'm like, is that really like possible? And like, am I that guy? Like, is this going to happen? Like, and as I got closer and closer, I'd like sit, I'd be driving in the car and I'm not like, I don't, I don't even know if I have tear ducts, so I don't cry very much and I don't, but I'm not like emotional, but I'm very, um, uh, not the sentimental is not the right word. Um, I can't think of the word starts with an S, but, uh, I, I drive in the car and I think about, I, I, I envision, um, hitting a million dollars and I could feel myself start to like, get really emotional about it since uh, not sensitive yeah maybe sensitive is the right one um and i think about it all the time and i'm just like man i when i hit that i'm like what's gonna happen and uh and, and i can remember the day that i did uh it, it was i woke up one morning and uh had an email from a client that said we're in you know and they signed the contract and that was the moment that i hit you know, a million and 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 year and and revenue, and I just like lost it. I just like it was like this moment of like achievement that I never thought was possible for myself. Um, and a lot of it took me back to like, my mom who passed away a long time, like back in two thousand six, and just wishing she were there and to have seen what I was able to achieve. Um, it was just this incredibly emotional moment, and and ever since then, it's just like, well, it doesn't matter whatever happens moving forward. Like I've accomplished something that I never thought would be possible for myself. And no matter how much failure we hit, or if we dip under, like I made it, it doesn't matter. And I think that moment of achievement for me, that was my, that was my barrier or that was my, you know, that was my mountaintop, I guess it did. It, it, everything else is just gravy. You know, it's just like, and I think that opened up some, like I can take some chances. Like now I just felt like you know, it just opened me up a little bit in terms of like, let's take some risks, let's try some things, let's let's go, let's go big. And I think that that was probably the moment that kind of broke through for me. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more psychology and depth to that that I even am aware of. But um, and and then obviously the book came from that, right? You know, that and that's that was the reason for the book. I'm like, well, if I can do this, anybody can do this. And I'm going to write about what I did and how I did it because I know. There are hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of other people um, that want to find their freedom. And uh, I want to help them, you know, bridge that gap, too. You know, it's funny. And I don't know if it's just for people that are sort of our age or contemporary, you know, to us. I don't know if it'll be the same for a kid born in 2022. Sure. Um, but that that number, one million dollars is like hugely symbolic. Yeah. At, at least like to me, it resonates a lot like that was the milestone. Now, if you're born in 2022, maybe it's going to be yeah. dollars. I don't right. know. It's not the same but, anymore. But for me, but... this concept of $1 million was really symbolic, right? Mm -hmm. And it really means something. That's like the, I made it mark. Yeah. And so, uh, so the way that you've described that is really, I mean, it's beautiful that you, you know, felt that way and that you were able to sort of, I guess, be willing to finally recognize the, the, the hard work you'd put in and stuff. Cause I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially those that are sort of gluttons for punishment and just work mm -hmm. themselves to the bone. Sometimes you don't stop and smell the flowers, you know, yeah. smell the roses and stuff. Yep. So I'm glad that you were able to sort of see that. But I also think that the fact that you were able to recognize sort of a, 
you know, even if only just symbolic, but a shift in my, in your mindset at that point that sort of gave you permission to now go forward. Yeah. I think especially people who are trying to develop, um, you know, personal brands or establish expertise in a field or something, mm-hmm. you know, it's really hard to get past that sort of imposter syndrome thing. And yeah. especially for a lot of mm-hmm. young people, they, they really struggle with this. You yeah. know, I still struggle with it on occasion. I'm sure yeah. a lot of folks do. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things it's kind of, I mean, it's dumb, but this is one of the things that keeps coming to me as just a theme throughout this conversation is this idea that it's okay. So like to be afraid, it's okay to mm-hmm. take the baby steps into business and not, not go full hog, you know, like maybe some of these startup founders that are venture backed or something might yeah. like, it's all okay. Whatever your approach is, is okay. And I think giving yourself permission to understand that whatever you're doing is all right, mm-hmm. I think is of value, right? Maybe yeah. it's not, maybe, you know, but for me, I keep hearing that in the back of my head as, as you're talking about these different milestones or overcoming, you know, risk aversion or overcoming fear. You know, the, this idea is that it, it's not even so much about like slaying the dragon as it is about being okay with where you are. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I think that that's a, re- a really powerful thought. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of, of slaying the dragon, um, you know, tangentially related to all this stuff is fear. And we've talked a couple of times about how fear was holding you back. Yeah. And I wondered, you know, and maybe it's, too close of question to what we were just talking about with sort of scarcity versus abundance. But I wonder if you could talk about sort of a a time that maybe you were afraid to make a decision and Mm -hmm. then you were able to push through and do it anyway. So, you know, in my case, maybe it was, you know, earlier this year, actually, uh, for the first time ever, I decided to try and outsource my sales. So I brought a company that was really scary for me. Right. Yeah. And so I brought on a company and unfortunately it was a dismal failure. Yeah. Uh, I was able to look at it and go, you know, especially on the advice of every agency owner I say, or, or I know that says, no, don't do this. Don't do this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for agencies. Um, I was able to at least look at it and I grew from it. I was able yeah. to say, okay, well, the reason they failed is because I didn't prepare them. They didn't, they didn't know my business well enough to sell it. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I was able to take that learning away from it, something I might not have got otherwise, but for mm-hmm. me, nonetheless, that was a, a scary moment to make a big investment. Yeah, it was kind of a, a rolling rolling of the dice, right? Mm-hmm. Just you know, in, in my case, that relationship didn't work out, but some of the good things that came from it, you know, have been good. Yeah, and so uh, so I wonder if there's a moment in sort of the growth of your company, or even in just your personal experience, or or maybe even as it pertains to writing the book. Yeah, um, you know that basically there was something that for you was either physically or emotionally scary, and yeah. You were able to dig deep and find the perseverance. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that. I have quick answers for you for these. Um, yeah. There's one that stands out more than anything. It's uh, transitioning my, my, the majority of my team from, um, from contractors to employees. Um, I knew that at some point I was going to have to kind of think that way, um, you know, and a lot of, you know, how the company was built and who I had on my team was, it wasn't driven so much by my um, lack of willingness to go down that path as much as it was, the people that I had were content with being contractors. They liked that freedom. You know, they liked that the tax ramifications of that for themselves. So it wasn't like I was forcing them to, to stay um, classified that way. Uh, and I was like, well, why should I change anything? It doesn't cost me as much money, a lot less paperwork, a lot less headaches. It's working. Why not? Um, but then I think, you know, after, after some time, a couple of things started to kind of, you know, you start thinking about, well, Am I being legal here? You know, am I treating people like employees? Am I putting myself at risk? Um, and just think more forward thinking. Like, yeah, they're fine with it now, but let's think about six, 12 months from now. Like, you want to keep these people. And I think that's one of the things, one of the most powerful things, especially in a service-based business, 
is not only hiring incredible people, but keeping those people. Like I'm naive when it comes to people. My philosophy in my head, I'm keeping you forever. Never going to work anywhere else. Like that's my goal. That's kind of naive. That's, you know, in this day and age, that's, that's pretty rare. But I still believe that I can hold on to people a lot longer than, than most might. That's my philosophy. And I'm like, well, you probably need to start thinking about, you know, transitioning your workforce into full-time employees to give them that stability and to give them that even though a lot of them are younger and maybe they're not thinking about 401ks or health benefits, you need to put those things in place because you're showing a commitment to them and that just takes it to another level. So, but that's a huge, that was a huge move for me. I'm, I'm talking about moving five to eight people from contractors into full-time employees. That's a big investment. You know, you're adding on easily, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30% of additional expense just to keep the same people, um, but shift them into uh, FTE status, you know, benefits, uh, you know, health benefits, 401k stuff, um, layering in bonus stuff, um, all these different kind of benefits to kind of stand out from the crowd. So it was a huge undertaking. Um, and it, it cut into profits, you know, uh, that you got this healthy profit margin that you're like, Oh, it feels so good. And then it's like, you know, that cuts that down pretty significantly, but it's like, in my mind, I'm like, you, you gotta be all right with that couple steps back to be able to take three, you know, more steps forward. Uh, so that was a tough one. You know, I, I struggled with it. I knew it was the right thing to do, but it was like, that it's, the, it's a little bit of that fear, that risk aversion. It's like, well, you know, we're not going to have as much to work with. Um, you know, so I just had to kind of power through that and understand that, you know, this is a natural progression for a business if you want to kind of get into the next stratosphere of success. So that was a tough one. Um, but, you know, looking back, certainly the right one. Um, yeah. no, and I, love uh, that. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of that idea, you know, you got to put a ring on it, right? <laughs> like if you want to, yeah, pretty it, much you great, got to commit. Yeah. Right. And it, and I mean, basically if you want great retention, I mean, you know, I'm a lifelong freelancer. Our team yeah. is largely contract, you know, I mean, it's exactly what you're describing. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we work with a lot of guys that are really happy being lone wolves, right? That's, yeah. but the point you're making about, you know, at some point, if you really want to hang on to that lone wolf, like at some point you got to bring it into the cut, you know, bring it into the den. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you got to yeah. be part of that. Yeah. And part of that, you know, I mean, not only does it, you know, feel better for you, but it's also better for that person, even if they yeah. don't know it yet, you know, or even if they don't recognize that. And, you know, I mean, your experience is similar to mine in that, you know, I mean, in the advertising realm, I mean, you take jobs, you get laid off, there's yeah. you know, uh, clients come and go, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it's very tumultuous. So I think for a lot of people, myself included, freelance made a lot of sense for me. Right. Yeah. Because like I, I could then control whether things are going up or down. Right. I'm not at the whim of some agency. No. But, uh, and, and but I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say there's a place for both, too. I, I want to be clear. Like you shouldn't necessarily make everybody an employee or everybody a contractor. I think it's basically a mix of both. And look, some people don't, don't want to be employees. I'm not going to force their hand. I'm like, fine, that's OK. You know, you don't you don't have to be that if you don't want to be. Um, but where it com- becomes really critical is like 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 key, like depending on where you're at as an agency, like. Um, you know, now I have like a director of operations. Like I, I'm not in the business at all. Like I don't, I, I, I'm outside of it quite a bit to your point. I, another fearful thing. I did hire a salesperson myself, which was kind of a scary thing, but I've got, you know, I've got a salesperson, I've got a director of operations, you know, I've got another senior level role. Like they're running the business. Like I've been able to pull myself away to do things like this, to write the book, to promote the book, do bigger things, um, and helping others kind of, um, you know, start their businesses, um, and a lot, you know, it just depends what's important to you as a business owner. Do you want to be in the business? Do you want to work on that stuff? Do you just want to be a certain level of size? Well, then you may not have to, you know, surround yourself with a lot of employees. Or are you the type of person that's like, I want to build this business up, 
and I want to pull myself out of it and I want to work 10 hours a week and just kind of be the face of it or or just kind of like help, you know, strategically. Well, you're going to need to bring in a director of operations or, or key strategic roles that can run that business for you that you can trust. You can, they're going to have to be employees. So, you know, there's, there's a time and a place for how you navigate that uh, depending on what's important to you and, and how big you want to be and, and what that growth looks like for you in terms of your business. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's a really good point. And actually, you know, kind of a fruitful topic, maybe to explore a little deeper yeah. is, you know, I, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs that get caught in this trap, right? The idea when they start their business is not to build, well, I mean, for many of us, we make a job, not a, not a career, right? Or right. And, uh, and you always hear the, you know, the phrase, you know, this idea that you should be working on your business, not in it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, if you're the, you know, tactician, if you're the one that does the thing that you're selling, you know, it is really hard to remove yourself. And so yeah. I wondered, you know, if you talk a little bit about just that experience, but mm-hmm. maybe frame it in the, the, you know, through the lens of hire number one, mm-hmm. when you made that decision that it was time to make this move and we need to make somebody uh, in a full-time employee, whether this was somebody that was already contract for you that you decided to keep or, or, or maybe a new person altogether. Yeah. I wonder if you talk about just sort of, I guess, your vetting process a little bit and yeah. how you made the decision to ultimately hire this person and maybe the, you know, any pitfalls that you were able to step over by, uh, you know, working through it in a certain way. Yeah. So I learned a ton at Microsoft about hiring. I went through their whole training. That was a huge component to me being able to be in a position to do that well. So I feel fortunate for that. Um, so I think we do a pretty good job of that. You got to hire rockstar people, never settle. Um, you know, I think that ultimately hire for the traits that are untrainable, good communicator, good heart, treats people well, um, has an entrepreneurial spirit, like all of these kind of like innate things that you either are or aren't. Um, I really focus on. And uh, for me, I, I, I was very fortunate. I mean, one of my very first hires, Joanna, who's my current director of operations, she, she came in as a contractor working like 10 hours a week on paid social stuff. And she just over time, you know, we connected and, you know, she was just incredible. Um, and so I gave her more and more responsibilities and flash forward a couple of years later. And now she's, she's running the business, you know, she's, you know, well on her way to being a CEO of this business and, you know, she runs it and I trust her a hundred percent. And a lot of that is just the relationship we've been able to foster and what's important to her and, and the things that she wanted to do in her life. And really just, I just, you know, we live a life of freedom. You know, it's, it's not about how many hours you work or where you work. Um, if you trust people, if you give them, you know, room to live and live their best lives, they're going to do incredible work and they're going to stick around and they're going to be loyal and they're going to work hard and they're going to care. Um, so I was very lucky to just come across her early on and ha- watch her grow and, um, you know, become kind of slide into the role that she has right now. So, um, so well, I wanted some... to ask you about like Joanna specifically in her yeah. case, right? I mean, obviously yeah. you developed a relationship over some time, you know, this yeah. was some random applicant, for example, Yeah. but how much of you know, where she is today was, I guess, sort of born from her. Right. So this, this was her characteristics and her, her drive and her Mm -hmm. interests and her, all those things versus what you imparted on her. And the reason I ask, and the reason I'm trying to understand this part is for that person who is trying to develop the trust to move out of their business and actually bring somebody in to run it. Like, I think one, uh, one hurdle or one potential roadblock that people see is, well, you know, I have to train somebody. I have to get them. 
they need to be me, right? It's a replacement mm-hmm. of me. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and so I wonder, you know, if you can sort of break that down a little bit. Yeah. No, she, uh, look, she might, she might tell you differently. Um, cause I'm very, I'm, I'm overly humble, uh, in terms of what I bring to the table and who I am, um, almost to a fault. Um, but she, I mean, look, the reason she's where she's at has more to do with just who she is as a person. Um, and just her, um, I just, there's, there's a little bit of luck with her. I mean, obviously I came across her at the right time in the right place, but it, it, it's not just one thing. I think it's just, we connected, you know, she's good people. You know, I always talk about this concept of good people, which I feel is like not the norm anymore. Um, so it's hard to find really good people that just, you know, they just, they just get it. They know how to communicate. They have intellectual horsepower. They have emotional intelligence. Um, that's a big thing that I talk about a lot is the whole emotional intelligence piece is just, she knows how to navigate difficult situations. She doesn't take things too personally. Um, she's just, you know, she's got, she's got that rock star approach to things. I just, I, I don't have to worry about anything with her. And I think a lot of that just is, it was born. I think a lot of it comes from, you know, I'm very, um, nurturing, you know, and, and how I might treat my relationships. I have a very small circle of people that uh but if you're in that circle i take care of you i'm I'm, i feel like i'm generous i'm and i think just treating her incredibly well and and allowing her to live her best life just made her want to be better at everything that she does she feels empowered she feels in charge of what she does and she wants to do more she wants to be better um and i think when you just treat people that way and and this is part of the anti-agency thing, right? I mean, we, we do things very differently. Um, sometimes to a fault, I'm, sometimes I'm overly generous, and sometimes that you could probably poke holes in that. But I think much more good has come out of it than bad. And and she's a direct result of that. Um, somebody that I trust that you know runs the business and will continue to probably take on more responsibility. So I think it's just you've got to find the core values of do they align to you? Are you the kind of person that um, are is going to treat people well? And allow people to do things that matter and not get, you know, overly concerned about things that don't like, oh, do they, are they working? Like, like everybody always asks me like, oh, you know, how do you know what they're working on or how I'm like, I don't care. I care about results. Like, here's your work. Do it. I don't care if when you do it, just be where you need to be when you need to be there. Do kick-ass work. Be an adult. You know, um, you know, another anti-agency thing we do. We don't track hours, which seems crazy in the agency game, right? Oh, you got to track hours. Like we, we don't do hourly. And I, I used to track hours to get some baselines, but we don't do it anymore. Team loves it. Why? I mean, I was just like, why am I doing this? What value am I getting out of this? Is it because I need to know that they're working? Like, you know, it was great for a little while because it kind of gave us a sense of like, how long does it take to do this thing or that thing? But after a year of that, it's like, we kind of know. So it's like, you know what? No more, no more time tracking. I don't care. You know, freedom. So I think a lot of it has to do with that mentality. Uh, you treat people incredibly well and you give them freedom. Everything else comes from that. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more here in our sort of closing minutes. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about just sort of this anti-agency ethic and where that sort of came from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we talked a little bit off air prior to the show that this is something that I'm very interested in as well. You know, I yeah. mean, having worked in, in traditional agencies. You know, there are things that I, I don't like about that that we've tried to fix in, in our, our our business. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that you really push through your book, anti-agency, is you know, these ideas of you know doing things just a little bit differently. And you've just given a couple examples, but I wonder if we could talk yeah. a little bit more about just sort of that ethic and what it really means to you to be sort of anti-agency as an agency. 
Yeah. And you know, the funny thing about it is, is that I don't claim to be like an inventor of all of these sorts of things. There's other people that do them, but I think just collectively, when I think about all the things that we've done that have allowed us to be the successful, it felt like it was against the norm. Now, as time goes on, a lot of these things start to become the norm, right? Like, I, like one of the things I might talk about is, you know, we're, we're a virtual agency and, and we don't, you know, we don't time track. Um, and it's about the work. I don't care when or how, like, you know, that I believe makes us still somewhat anti-agency, but I think a lot of people are coming around and realizing, well, this is the new norm. So um, that's certainly that's certainly part of it. I think the other thing is just, you know, I'm very transparent about the business. You know, I don't, I, I talk to my team about you know, the health of the business, where we're at financially. Um, I'm very, uh, you know, I, I have a zero tolerance policy if clients treat my team poorly. Um, I just, you know, my team is, my business and I just have a, a zero tolerance policy for, for, for clients that treat them poorly. Um, you know, unlimited vacation. Like, I don't, it's like, you know, you need time off, take time off. You know, I don't, uh, you know, again, not a revelation. There's plenty of companies that are kind of moving to that sort of model. Um, saying no to more than that. We say yes. Um, is definitely something that I think aligns to that. And, um, you know, we, uh, you know, we do a lot of month to month contracts with clients, um, which has uh, been kind of anti uh, agency. I think a lot of agencies do six, 12 month contracts. Our philosophy has been, we do great work. You're going to stick around, you know, we got to earn it. So, um, so those are the things that kind of come to mind in terms of, you know, everything that we do is just, just trying to spin things on their head. And like another one that we're kind of floating around right now is, and for us, I don't know that it would be as much impactful at like, do we want to not work on Fridays? Should we just do Monday through Thursday and not and just remove Fridays, you know, from the mix? Um, so we're exploring that. You know, what does that look like as a business? We got to make sure our clients are taken care of and it doesn't impact them in a negative way. But is that, you know, something that um, might be a significant move for us? Interestingly, we put out a survey to our team and it wasn't as important to them as we thought it could be. And I again, but I think that's a reflection of the fact of how we've just been as a culture, which is we don't track time. We don't care when you work. We don't care where you work. So shifting to that isn't much like, it's like, well, it doesn't really matter. We already feel like we're living a life of freedom. Um, but it's like always pushing ourselves to kind of think about, you know, what can we do that's unique and different uh, for our clients or for the business that kind of breaks the norm. So we're always kind of have that mindset in place. I love that, you know, and you keep sort of, and maybe this goes back to sort of that humility, right? But you sort of yeah. keep couching all these things that you're doing as, oh, well, other people are doing this, but like, I mean, yeah, they are, but I mean, the lion's share aren't, Yeah, <laughs> you know, the lion's share yeah. are still, you know, doing things in sort of, I guess what we would consider older or more traditional yeah. ways. And, uh, you know, for good or for bad, right? I mean, maybe it depends on the business, maybe it sure. depends on the leadership, you know, maybe some leaders aren't capable of, of leading this way, right? Maybe yeah. that give them incredible amounts of anxiety or something. Right. So, I mean, so, you know, different strokes, right. And this is one of the sure. things that you can offer. And so, but I think that one point that I just really wanted to call out was because of your transparency or because of your policy of sort of sharing these decisions with the people on your team. And maybe this is something that's more unique to smaller organizations where you've got, you know, eight or 10 or 15 people where you can have these conversations, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, being able to include them in those things, I think is really important, especially in the agency world, because yeah. traditionally, especially in big shops, like things are run top down, like these mm -hmm. things are imposed on you, right? Even if it's right. you know good or bad or whatever, you know, like maybe we're not going to work Fridays anymore, but that comes from senior leadership or something, right? Somebody's yeah. rolling that downhill on you. Mm -hmm. And as you've discovered, you know, when you offered that to your people, they're like, well, yeah, no, cool, but it's not critical, right? It's not that big a deal to us. Yeah. And, um, 
But I think being able to receive that feedback and now go, okay, well, maybe Friday's off isn't that critical, but you know, I don't know, maybe we start Mondays at noon or something, you know, right. whatever the next thing is, yeah. you know, um, I think being able to have that conversation with the people you work with is important. And I think it also sort of just reinforces the, I guess, trust in your team that you've sort of been espousing here, you know, and how important trust is as a factor. Yeah. I pretty much, my, my philosophy is make it damn near impossible for anybody to ever want to leave working for this company. That's my goal. You know, that's how I live. That's how I think about it. Um, because hiring, training, mentoring, onboarding, these are expensive, time consuming things. And if you're constantly having to churn through people, like you're, you're, you're going to die in the vine. Uh, so I've been very lucky enough to, to be able to combat that by having an amazing team that stuck around for a long period of time. And again, success breeds success. People stick around, they get better at their jobs. It becomes, they become more efficient. What might have taken them, 40 hours a week to manage over time, maybe takes less amount of time. So it's, it's a really great formula. And and I just live a life of, of just being generous. You know, I, I don't need, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Like as long as I can live comfortably, the bills are paid. I get to live the life that I want. I'm going to give back to the people that have allowed me to live that type of life. Um, because that's, what's going to make the business scalable and ensure that I have it um, throughout whatever time I have left on this planet. So, well, and I think that, you know, that goes back to this uh, conversation that we were having earlier about sort of scarcity versus abundance and mm -hmm. sort of just the mindset that is required to sort of just be happy and healthy. And, and back to my stupid little call out, you know, this concept of it's okay. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, I don't need to be a billionaire. I don't need any of this stuff. What I really need is just to be free to do what I want to do and move around yeah. and do. And, and that's, that's what I need. That's what you're trying to buy with money anyway. Right. I mean, when people are trying to become sure year or whatever. I mean, you're most people I think are trying to either buy stuff or buy freedom. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're not a stuff buyer, you know, then you might find that you can get to freedom a lot cheaper than you think. I think people realize pretty quickly, like certainly, you know, it's nice to buy a cool car or this or that, but that gets old pretty quick. There's nothing more empowering and feeling incredible than controlling your life. I don't have to sit in traffic for two hours. I don't have to be tied to a desk from nine to five. You know, I'm not sitting in all these unnecessary meetings. Like you can wake up one day and say, you know what, I'll take the day off and I'm going to go fish or I'm going to go do this or I'm going to do that. And you can do it. And that's, to me, that's how everybody should, you know, you know, not everybody. There's certain people that are fine with predictability and stability and, and want that kind of routine. I think a lot of people would prefer to be able to wake up every day and decide how they want to live their life. And I'm not, look, you have to work hard. You know, depending on where you're at in your life, like I could I do that, you know, in the first year or two of the business? No. Um, could I do it now? Yeah, I've got an amazing team. It's, it's been a couple, a couple of years in. I put things in place. I could take a day off if I wanted to. Now, I don't take a day off up here in my head. I mean, I'm always thinking about the business, right? <laughs> but physically, like, hey, if I want to go, you know, if I want to go to Cabo San Lucas for a week, all right, here we go. You know, like that's such an incredible to be in that position to be able to do that. And and I and that's not lost on me. Like I touched on earlier, I grew up poor. I appreciate what I have. I give back. Like with the book that I have, I give 15% of the proceeds back to a domestic violence shelter. Like I I want to give back. We have a socialistic cares program at our agency. We always highlight, you know, uh, an organization and, and donate and and provide um, you know, uh coverage for them. So um, but I think that's that's inherently why we are what we are, and we've been able to do what we do. Good people with good hearts that care about each other, that care about making the world a better place for themselves, their family, their friends, 
and 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 the and the organizations that they care about. And so that's that's why we're where we're at. I love that. Well, and I couldn't probably say it any better. So let's just leave it like that. Yeah. Um, here in the last minute or so, do you um, want to share, you know, how people can track you down if they want to engage sure. with you socially? I know you do some speaking and podcasting um, or, you know, how people can engage with the organization or just, you know, anything you want to share. Yeah, for sure. Like if anybody's heard anything that like, I'm always happy to jump on a call, help people. I don't, you know, you want 10, 15 minutes of my time to help you navigate something. Just, you know, you can find me at, you know, jasonyormark.com um, personally. Um, you can find me at socialistics.com. Um, like I said, I've got my book anti-agency. Um, you can get it at anti-agencybook.com and Hey, if times are tough and you don't want to pull the trigger, just shoot me an email. Give me a call. I've got about a 200 books sitting in my closet right now. I'll send you a copy. All I care about is, is helping people navigate, finding their path to, to entrepreneurship. Cause honestly, even if one person ever got back to me and said, I read your book, and I built a million dollar business someday and your book had a lot. To, I, I mean, that in and of itself would bring me a level of satisfaction that it was worth it. So um, anything that you need, feel free to reach me out on any of those paths and, and happy to be a resource for you. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Jason. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, you know, we were ships in the night a week ago and I, I couldn't be more happy that we were able to make, uh, you know, coordinate this and make it happen again because uh you know, for me anyway, this conversation was really important and just knowing what I do about you through having listened to your podcast and things, uh, you know, I'm really grateful to have had this time to visit. So absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me on the show. Great time. Absolutely. And thanks so much to everybody who tunes into the show this week and every week. See you guys next time.